Hello and welcome to this special compilation episode of the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. In this show, I sit down with leading lights from the world of business, communication and academia to explore how organisations can improve the way they communicate with their people. Now the curtain is about to go up on season six of the show with a fantastic array of guests, including, and I can't quite believe I'm going to say this, the organisational psychologist, Professor William Kahn, who actually created the concept of engagement at work 31 years ago. So you might want to hit that subscribe button today. To give you a taste of what's to come, here are some of my favourite moments from our last season. Gabrielle Dolan says that she most likely developed her storytelling skills because she was one of eight children and she was looking for ways to get attention. She went on to work in senior roles in corporate Australia And it's there that she saw firsthand the power of storytelling in a business context. Today, Gabrielle is a highly sought after international keynote speaker, trainer and best-selling author of several books on storytelling. Her experience, her passion, her general vivacity made Gabrielle the perfect guest to open season five of the show. Here, Gabrielle reveals what really goes on behind the closed doors of her storytelling training sessions with leaders. The vast majority of the work I do is like, yes, it's it's training workshops to teach people how to tell stories more effectively. So, yes, it's that. But the basis I go in the vast majority of the time, and, and this is the real power, is when companies you know, have values that they want to communicate. Um, but I go in and train their leaders. And it's not just the, it's not just the executive leadership team. It's the vast majority of the leaders. And one of the things I do to them is to say, well, we're going to share a personal story around the company values. And so what, what a lot of organisations do is to say, these are our company values, like, you know, integrity, respect, you know, customer centric right around and they have bullet points under each of them so this is what it means and I I just go to the leaders I go I'm not even interested what those bullet points are I don't care (laughs) right and you shouldn't care you and I'll do this thing like you know say for example I go what's one of the company values that you resonate with or you like and I go uh, respect I go okay what does that mean to you personally and I'll go um uh uh, integrity. I go, can, I go, can you just not use words? I go, can you tell me <laughs> what it actually means to you? And they will sit there and go, well, well, you know, it means if you say you're going to do something, do it. Go on. Okay. What else does it mean? Um, it means listening to people, truly listening to people. And I go, what else? And, and I go, what else does it mean? And a lot of them, and this is, this is again, senior leaders, they'll go, oh, I don't know, you've put me on the spot here. I haven't really thought about it this much before. Wow. And I, and I just sit there and that's when I stop it and I go, thank you for doing this because everyone else in the classroom is feeling the same. Your job is to communicate these values, but how many of you actually thought about what it means to you before? And it, do, it doesn't take long for them to go, 
you know what, actually what it really means is this. And I go, fine, just, just find what it really means to you. And then I take them through the process of, finding a personal story that they can use to communicate that. So, it, it, you know, it could be it could be a story about, you know, their kids that, you know, maybe said, Dad, you never listened to me or, or you know, whatever it is. And, they, um, and, and, then I, and then I teach them the process of how to tell stories more effectively, you know, which is sort of the easy bit, um, but it's helping them make this personal connection to their own set of values because unless they've done that, they can, you cannot, you cannot communicate company values through bullet points. I mean, my God, seriously, you can't. You can't just stick words up on a wall or on a mouse pad or on a coffee mug. I've been around in organisations for thirty years and seen all types of values rollouts that involve coffee mugs and mouse pads, and they don't work. You've got to get your leaders connecting to them on a personal level, um, and communicating personal stories to to show what it means to their people. For 13 years now, internal comms professionals have been responding to the Gallagher State of the Sector Survey, which makes this report a really useful way for the IC community to benchmark its activities and ambitions over time. More than 800 comms pros from 45 countries worldwide responded to the 2021 Gallagher State of the Sector. I wanted to interrogate the report's findings with a experienced in-house practitioner. So I reached out to Kate Jones, Head of Communications and Corporate Affairs at Tarmac, the building's material business, which employs around 7,000 people across a network of more than 400 sites. Now, I had long wanted Kate on the show. She is a chair and fellow of the Institute of Internal Communication. And you may know her also from her Twitter handle, The Way I See It. In this clip, we discuss the report's findings around influence. As I see professionals, it looks like our influence has increased as a direct result of helping our organisations navigate the global pandemic. So two-thirds of respondents believe their level of influence has increased during 2020. Mm-hmm. Looking deeper into influence, 87% agree that internal communicators are viewed by senior leaders as trusted advisors. Now, this mm-hmm. is a massive increase in influence. And I'm just wondering, again, is this a knee-jerk reaction to the pandemic? Do you think it's here to stay? Have you seen your influence increase? Yeah, I I'm a, I'm a bit of a cynic on this one, I'm afraid. Um, I truly hope that the increased status of internal comms that we're all reporting and the increased profile that we're all reporting is based on the right things. We have undoubtedly raised our profile, but I wonder how much of that has been based on tactics, on great information delivered really quickly to help people understand the organisation's response to COVID and, and also the impact outside of work, because COVID, of course, has been not just a work change, it's 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 infiltrated every aspect of our lives. So how we maintain that is the right question. Um, How do we use that platform that we've now found and push the conversation where we want it to go? This is is the genuine influencing um, opportunity that we have. We can't slink back into the shadows if we have now stepped forward. And your second point in terms of kind of my own experience of that, I definitely feel that I have had 
even more conversations with with senior leaders um, that have genuinely shaped the response that the organisation took to COVID. So what that looked like was a, a, a war room that we set up. Um, so eight o'clock in the morning, six o'clock at night, there was myself, the finance director, the HR director and the chief exec. And we would piece together what we'd heard during the day or, the, or, or, or at the press conference that evening. And we would translate it into the organization's response. And I don't mean how we would communicate the response. I genuinely felt that I was part of that, that group that was deciding what we would do as a result of where the pandemic was headed. So I, I felt um, I had a great relationship with those people already. Um, so whether I was invited into that because of a previous relationship or because of a new focus on the importance of comms, I couldn't tell you. But I used it. Um, and I think that it will benefit us once we start going back to normal. Um, so, yeah, I think the influencing question is the right one. But are we influencing for where we want to get to? When I interviewed Prathna Thakur, she was working in the UK as Head of Internal Communication at the global construction company ISG, which employs around 3,000 people across 24 countries. Following that role, she moved into consulting after a decade, actually, of working in-house and also moved back to her hometown of Calgary. Here, Parathna explains the model that she uses for creating great content. So this model has definitely revolutionized the way we approach content production. I can't take credit for it. I heard it at a popular conference a couple of years back, but it has been incredibly successful. And it's also been called the Oscar approach to writing. And so it means breaking your story into three ways. So the first part is the skimmer. And these are people that want quick and easy access to information. The second part is your swimmers who have a, want a little bit more detail, but nothing that's going to slow them down. And then lastly, you have your deep divers and they want the full story and have some time to explore it. So a skimmer, for example, could sometimes just be a simple push notification, giving the headline and that's it, or a couple of bullet points at the top of a longer story. Swimmers, when they have a bit more time, so this might be a 30 second video or an infographic with a short paragraph, you can get a little bit more information conveyed. And then lastly is the deep diver. And this is when they have the time and interest to explore. And as it says, kind of dive deep into the content. So we use this format internally and externally, um, especially with our storytelling approach we use. So instead of case studies on our website, we write stories with either the client end user or employee, employee as a star of the piece. And we share these internally and externally. And this gives people the opportunity to learn more about the person or client and, and dive deep into the technical aspects and the spec and the size and scale of a project if they're doing the deep diver. They also might just want to know really high level information, but something that brings that employee or that project to life. And you can get that through through really smart writing and engaging writing through a skimmer or a swimmer. It's also really important to remember that different audiences and, and people might be a skimmer on Monday when they don't have a lot of time and they just have time to read the headline. But on Friday, that might have hooked them in and they might go back and choose to dive a bit deeper. So don't think that one audience is ever only going to be one. They can always be all three. But it has really made an impact in how we write our content. It Before it felt, especially working with stakeholders, People want to convey every piece of information. They've just put their heart and soul into building an incredible building or fitting out a, a great new office space. And they want to share everything. And we don't want to lose that, but we also know that we're not going to keep 
the engagement of some people who are actually just interested in maybe a, a story of the site manager or somebody who went above and beyond on the project and or lessons learned. So it's about making sure that you don't lose that information because that is important, but also finding different ways to tell the story. So you almost have three ways you've told a story about one project. And it has worked with stakeholders because we're able to say, actually, we've told it in three different ways. So you're going to have more reach and more engagement and we're not missing out on the technical aspects. And that gets them excited. Mark Webb was flying high in his comms career when he started to experience some strange symptoms of ill health. Six months later, he was given the devastating news that he had MS, multiple sclerosis, a lifelong and currently incurable disease. But that is only half the story. Today, Mark is a communications and social media consultant, head of comms for the charity Shift.ms, a motivational speaker and panellist, fundraiser, brilliant blogger, the list goes on. In a lively and wide-ranging conversation, we talked about everything from creating strong brand cultures to building personal resilience. This conversation actually has special meaning for me because a few weeks later after recording it, I had potentially life-changing surgery on my spine, which I'm relieved to say went well, but six months on, I am still in recovery. Mark's daily positivity posts on LinkedIn now hold special meaning for me. It's hard not to call him inspirational, but how does he feel about that? I probably don't go a day without being told I'm inspirational. But my challenge there with it is that I'm being called inspirational sometimes just because I'm smiling, just because I'm still doing a bit of work, just because I've raised a couple of quid. Is that inspirational because I got out of bed? Well, it shouldn't be. There are some newspapers, and I won't name them, but I think we can guess them, but would have us be seen as scroungers. Whereas statistically, it's a tiny percentage of the poor or the disabled or whatever who are scroungers. It's a tiny amount, but they're the ones who are flagged. The rest of us are trying our damnedest to get on with life and love and happiness and earn money when we're capable. Is that inspirational or is that just us trying our best? So it's it, it's really hard. And, you know, you see the Paralympics and every four years, everybody says for a couple of weeks, golly, aren't those disabled people amazing? Then they start forgetting about it. And then they start giving us funny looks, you know, when we have a stagger or we we, we look young in a wheelchair or somebody's dribbling because of a disease or has a Tourette's or there's a view of a disabled person that they are sidelined from society and out of sight, out of mind, except for two weeks. There, there lies the, the duality, really, is I want to make people think. I don't really mind being called inspirational because I do do ridiculous things. You know, calling my blog One Man and His Catheters immediately gets people thinking, I think. Um, trying to portray my existence humorously 
is a little bit of a defense mechanism because when I talk about catheters or constipation or whatever else has gone on in my life, it, it, it's hard. So, so humor is a way of I can deliver it by, um, but get away with it. Um, but I do do really ridiculous things because I'm an adrenaline junkie. Um, so I fall out of planes. I um, did a Tough Mudder last year where I was essentially a sack of potatoes being carried over by 10, 15 people. Over and I, got, I couldn't do a single one of the obstacles and I did every single one. And I was shattered. And after about the third, I nearly threw up. But I, oh, I, I achieved all of them. I've raised, I, I think I've raised about £20,000 for charity. So I'm not, I'm not really in Captain um, Tom Moore's territory, but I do my bit. So fine if I have to be inspirational. That is a one word thing. But if I could do one thing, it would be you're so thought provoking. That, that's what I want people to I pe- want people to wake up and realize that I'm normal, just like other people who wear pink shirts are, and people who have a nose piercing or like to listen to 60s pop or whatever. We're all different, but, but we're also normal. Jenny Field is a business communication strategist, an international public speaker, a podcast host and is the immediate past chair of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations here in the UK. I invited Jenny on the show to discuss her new book, Influential Internal Communication, subtitled Streamline Your Corporate Communication to Drive Efficiency and Engagement. Here we are talking about the role curiosity plays in IC and how we can use it to help us avoid confirmation bias. So I'm just curious about curiosity, really. <laughs> how, how important is curiosity to you in general and to making this model work? So to me, it's really important because you have to want to unpick stuff. So you have to want to ask the questions that might not be the comfortable ones. I know when we've worked together in the past, you've said, God, you really go for it. Um, because you, you, have, you have to want to get underneath that. If you don't want to know, you're going to be really comfortable dealing with the symptoms. Because do you know what? I'm ticking a box. It's easy and it's fine. If you're not curious about, but, what, you know, but why? why? Why are we doing it like this? And, and what's made you decide to think like this? And all of those things, you're, you're not going to ever get to the point of dealing with root cause. And it doesn't take many whys to get to the answer. I remember in one organisation, it was a manufacturing. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was making food, I'm sure. It was a food manufacturing plant. And one particular employee on this assembly line was saying, oh, the, uh, the, the, the face-to-face team briefing, I never get one of those. It doesn't work here. And when I kept asking why, I discovered, well, it happens on a Tuesday and she worked part-time. So she just didn't get it, mm. but it was happening. But I could have walked away from the surface of that and, dis- and thought that team briefings weren't happening at all. Yes. It just wasn't happening right for those part-time employees. So keeping digging away until you properly understand is so important, isn't it? Yeah, it, because like you said, we can interpret things and also you'll interpret things based on your bias. So if you've met the leadership team and that example you gave, you might have met them and thought they are not going to be the best 
communicators. Then you meet someone who says, we don't get team brief. It's it's confirmation bias at work. So you can sit there and go, well, I knew this would be the case because I've met them. And blah, blah, blah. So you wouldn't delve deeper. So it's it's you're kind of fighting yourself as well by asking the questions because it, you've kind of got to, to make sure that you're not bringing your bias into that conversation. There are probably several reasons that you have heard of Advita Patel, comms consultant, coach, mentor, public speaker, podcaster, and of course, the co-founder of the empowered community, A Leader Like Me. Towards the end of my interview with Advita, a conversation shifted to imposter syndrome and how to overcome those low points that we all experience in our careers. I'm just curious because you seem always quite a very positive, upbeat, very articulate person. Is there anything that you do in your your daily life? Is there a daily routine or habit or ritual that keeps you feeling resilient? Because I think it's one of those things we kind of know we need to be, but how do we actually do it? Any any little hints or tips on resilience? It's so funny because... I never really see myself as, you know, if you ask my family, they'd be like, I'm right misery gut. You know, they would be like, I'm miserable. Um, and I don't really see myself as that positive kind of person. But I suppose I always do try and look at what is the best outcome from this. And I have worked on my confidence and my imposter syndrome for, you know, for two and a half, three years, because I went through a really low point three years ago when I didn't feel like I belonged in the community and I really questioned my life choices at that time and I really had to pull myself out of that deep kind of place I'd got into and it wasn't like a diagnosed depression or anything like that but it was definitely a low point of my life and I'd really struggled with myself and understanding whether it's something I wanted to do so I spent a, a good number of months you know researching reading picking up tips and techniques on how can we believe in our own self-worth and make sure that we are still doing what brings us joy to an extent and you know I looked into motivational kind of you know so anybody who knows me and and who has spoken to me in the past will know that I'm a big fan of those kind of cheesy quotes that I share occasionally on my Insta page and Twitter because it's those kind of positive words that really get me through some days and I do believe in writing down your thoughts and doing that reflective journal and taking that time out of the day to kind of learn from what happened in that day and why you felt that day, you know, why you felt the way you felt. And I recently got into voice journaling and I don't know if anybody's Mm, ever ah. done that. And the reason I voice journal more than anything is because I really hated the sound of my own voice when I used to listen back to things like podcasts and interviews. And when you hate the sound of your own voice, you can't listen back to see what you could do better next time, right? Because you just ignore it. So I really had to train my mind into being okay with my voice. So I started to voice journal. And it's been one of the best things I've done, you know, in, in, in ever. Because you can just, at the end of the day, you switch on my microphone, on my phone, and I just talk about my day to myself. And it sounds weird, but it doesn't matter because nobody's listening apart from you. And then I just kind of reflect on it at the end of the week about what did I learn? What could I do better? And why did I feel the way I felt? And then try and address that the week after and being a little bit more kind to myself you know and I say to anyone who's listening talk to yourself like you would talk to your best friend because you you know or someone that you love because we just we're very unkind to ourselves at times and we'll say things like oh I'm so stupid oh that's really silly of me oh I know this might be a silly question oh I know this isn't you know oh forgive me you know we say things like that all the time 
And I sometimes think, do you know what? If we just spoke to ourselves like we were talking to our best friend or someone that we loved, then we wouldn't feel so bad about ourselves at times. And that's how I try and stay on the positive side of things as much as I can. Trust me, I'm not 100% like this. Just speak to my sister. She will tell you. (laughs) You don't see this every day. There are moments where you just kind of, you know, hate life and go into a rage. But I try as possible to be, be out of that that kind of lull as quickly as I can because life is just too short to to be miserable for a long period of time. We don't think nearly as much as we think we do. That's just one of the many brilliant insights from William Leach's book, Marketing to Mind States, a practical guide to applying behavioural design to research and marketing. In IC, we are often trying to influence and change people's behaviours. So in the last episode of season five, I wanted to find out what the IC community can learn from the behavioural sciences. Will has more than 25 years experience applying behavioural design to marketing, including running PepsiCo's Behavioural Research Lab. This was a great conversation, fun and informative. Here's Will explaining how we, as human beings, make decisions. So let me just give you a data point for anybody who's listening. You make, on the average, 35,000 decisions on any given day. 35,000 decisions. If you had to think through the cost-benefit analyses of every single decision you're supposed to make on any given day, you wouldn't get out of bed. There's no way you could get out of bed because you would have to think to yourself, okay, you hear the alarm. Do I open my eyes? Do I not open my eyes? Do I turn off my alarm? Do I not turn off my alarm? Do I get out of bed? Do I stay in bed? Do I get out with my left foot first, right foot first? So there's all these decisions you're making. And the fact of the matter is that you don't do cost-benefit analysis on very, very, very few decisions. I mean, can you? I can't even come up with 100 decisions that I made yesterday, though technically I probably made thousands of small decisions. So the vast majority of your life and your behaviors are based upon your subconscious. So you better understand how that influences your beliefs, your decisions. It comes down to these psychological mindsets, these temporary moments, like the moment when I went across the street, when I I entered out of the hospital and I was high emotional arousal. I wasn't thinking, but I saw something and I made a decision like that that said, go across the street and go get your boy into a daycare. That made no rational sense. I didn't do cost-benefit analyses at all. I just went across the street. You are in these mind states many times every day, not in the thousands, but in these mind states many times in the day where kind of just things just kind of stop, if you will. You're not thinking, you're just reacting. And when you're watching TV, you're in mind states. Why it's so important for you to understand a mind state is that you're exactly right, Katie. It's not a personality. It is not a segmentation. It is what happens in these moments throughout the day that influence you because I am more complex than a segmentation. I am a father. I'm a son. I'm an entrepreneur. I go to church. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I, I like tennis. I have all these different roles and responsibilities and aspects to my life. And if you study somebody as a segment, you're missing a large part of who they are as a person. Behavioral sciences and mind states allow you to understand these moments in time where I may be in a different role. Like right now, I'm in a business role and kind of a friendship role with you, right? That's the role take me out of here and I'm going to talk to my son about eating healthy. I'm in a different role. I'm in a father role. That's why mind states matter is to understand that role you're under in these moments and speak to those roles. Because when you speak to these mind states, 
you are much more likely to increase the emotional arousal that people have, your excitement that they have, their interest in you. And when people are interested and they're excited and they're in these moments of temporary emotional arousal, they're more susceptible to influence. That's why communications work. Um, when you are not speaking that way, they're less likely to work, whether it's marketing, whether it's parenting, whether it's whatever it is that you're trying to do, these moments matter. Season six of the Internal Comms podcast kicks off on Wednesday, the 8th of September with fortnightly episodes running until the end of 2021. If you are already a fan of the show, I'd be really grateful if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We currently have more than 60 so far. If we can get that number to 100, we will make this show more discoverable for other IC professionals around the world. So my lovely listeners, until we meet again for season six of the Internal Comms Podcast, stay safe and well. And remember, it's what's inside that counts.